Okay, stick with me here on this idea. So many guests on the show refer to their lives outside of Philmont as, quote, the real world, end quote. A previous guest on the show, Buck O'Cowden, challenged me to flip this idea and consider, on the contrary, that the people, the natural landscape, and the connection to a common goal at Philmont creates a real world that is perhaps the realest of them all, where we show up for each other, challenge and grow our authentic identities, and are trusted to do our jobs. So this notion was on my mind as I spoke with Saverin Nelson. Although, like many of the podcast guests Saverin and I have never met, I felt an immediate connection to her as someone who's not afraid to try something new and even take it to the next level of entrepreneurship. Saverin is a warm, intelligent, and talented individual who currently works in public health while at the same time runs her jewelry business, S Designs. Saverin worked at Philmont in 2015 as a PC at Carson Meadows, 2016 PC Dan Beard, 2017 Assistant Camp Director at Head of Dean, 2018 she was to be the Camp Director at Sawmill, of course due to the Ute Park fire that season was canceled. 2019 she returned as the Camp Director of Dan Beard and in 2020 she was supposed to be a backcountry manager. Again, another season canceled due to the pandemic. She discusses her time at Philmont, highlighting the COPE programs, the positive examples of backcountry leadership, and the dynamic challenges of being on seasonal staff during the Ute Park Fire of 2018. So perhaps you're approaching a goal and it's finally in sight. It's like a participant seeing the tooth of time from base camp, knowing they'll be up there in a few days. Philmont is full of these mental snapshots of one's own real world and what they feel empowered to take on and loved enough to accomplish. And lastly, if you celebrate the upcoming holiday of Valentine's Day, or you simply want to give the gift of handmade jewelry, definitely check out S Designs. I'm a huge fan of Saverin's work, and I know you will be too. All right, everyone, let's hike on. All right, everybody. I'm here this evening with Miss Saverin Nelson. How are you doing, Saverin? Hi. Hi. I'm so happy to be here. I'm such a fan. Thank you. I'm excited to have you uh, finally after Leela nominated you back in January. <laughs> so it's good to get you on the show and hear your voice. Um, and we've never met in person, but I feel like I know you. I feel like that's kind of a Philmont thing, a common thread. So. Yeah, I feel like I know you. Good friends with Claire. So there you go. I like it. So let's uh, kick it off with how you ended up at Philmont. Was it through your family, through a friend? I uh, would just love to hear your background story. I have a little bit of a different background story. So a lot of times, like, you know, girls that end up at Philmont, it's like, oh, my dad and brother, I was jealous and I really wanted to be out there. Well, my dad and brother were like, my dad's still heavily involved in scouts, but they're, they were still, they were really heavily involved in scouts and I did not care. <laughs> I, I was not jealous. Um, and then my dad went to Philmont as a youth. He went with my brother. And then, um, you know, girls could, you know, form crew, venture crews and go out. So my dad had this dream of, I'm going to take my two girls and we're going to go hike Philmont. So he formed his own venture crew 
a year before you're supposed to go for us to train and like created a whole adventure crew for me and him to go to Philmont. And I fought him tooth and nail. I was not about it until (laughs) my mom like kind of sat me down and was like, this will be two weeks of your life. You can give this up for like your dad to be there. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. I'll go, I'll go. And then I made it out to Philmont and you know, the rest is history. Like I fell in love with it. It was amazing. Um, I was 17 at the time and I was crew leader. So then when we were done with our trek and we were checking out, um, one of the front desk ladies was like, you know, you should apply. You're going to be 18 next year. You should do it. And I remember turning to my dad and I was like, I could work here. Like I just was like shocked at that. And so that's, that's how I heard about Philmont, learned about Philmont, um, and experienced Philmont for the first time. Oh my gosh. So you went out there kind of, you know, hesitantly, and you were put in the role of crew leader too. What was that like? What was, what's something memorable from your trek? (laughs) Yeah. It was, I mean, we were like a smorgasbord of like, of, of participants. I definitely know my personality. I definitely do tend to lead towards more, at least like aspiring for those leadership positions. So when the option of like, who wants to be crew leader, I was like, pretty quick on the jump to be like, I'll do that. (laughs) Um, Not really having a lot of experience in scouting and in leadership, but that's fine. I learned as I was. But um, my dad was the only leader in our venture crew that had any real scouting experience and film experience. So therefore, I think I got a little bit of his street cred because I had been hearing about all of his experiences. And so they're like, oh, Sarah could do it. And then I jumped on it. So Nice. Yeah, that's that's kind of how I became crew leader. Hey, why not? I think that's cool yeah. that you that you just went for it. What was your favorite part of the trek? Well, there was a lot of great moments. I think two really great moments that stick out to me is I remember we get to base camp and you know, you can see the two of the time and my dad was like, "We're going to be on top of that in 3 days." And, you know, as a staff member, you hike the tooth, like, in the morning, and then you can, like, you know, you go out for lunch and, you know, to the bar after. But as, like, a 17-year-old participant that, like, has not grown up hiking or doing scouting, like, being in base camp and looking at the tooth and being like, you're lying. There's no way. There's no way we're going to be on the tooth in three days, you know? Um, So I fondly look back at that memory and just kind of chuckle to myself a little bit. But we almost didn't make it to the top of the tooth because we were a little bit slower of a group. And there was an afternoon storm coming through. And there was actually a ranger on their day off where we were hiking up. And he was like, you have to do it right now. Like, you guys need to get going or you guys need to turn back around and it's not going to happen. And so we kind of, as like a crew, all just like looked at each other and we're like, go, just go, 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 go. And it almost didn't happen. We were in like lightning position for 30 minutes. And I just remember being there and being like, I was so excited to like be on the tooth. It's still kind of the beginning of our trek. Like I was like really upset about it. And my dad had squirreled away some Rice Krispie treats. So it's pouring down rain and I'm next to my dad in in lighting position. And he's like, here you go. And like hands me a Rice Krispie. And so we like share a Rice Krispie treat. And I think that is like that mental snapshot of like, that's the tooth of time for me. So 
Yeah, totally a memorable snapshot. So this is totally a side note, but can I ask, um, was it your dad or your mom that named you? I just think you have a beautiful, unique name. Oh, thank you. I've definitely learned to grow to love the name Saverin, but both my grandfathers were professors, but one of my grandfather um, grandfathers was a professor in Romance Languages and Greek Mythology. So he had a bunch of just like old fairy tale books and history books. And then when my parents were naming me, there's like an old Irish fairy tale they fell in love with and the girl's name was Saverin. So that's how I got oh, my name. <laughs> that's very that's a very good answer. That's very beautiful. <laughs> I'm gonna have to check it out now. Uh yeah, to the time you made it up there and that was in twenty fourteen when you tracked. And then you yeah. came back the next summer and you were at yeah. PC at Carson Meadows. And what was your first summer on staff like? I mean, we always say, I'm sure you've heard it and your listeners have heard, you know, your first summers out there is for the mountains and every other summer is for the people. <laughs> it's funny now. I didn't even think that I would get on staff. It just seemed like such a crazy, all those people were crazy hikers and all these like really cool people that I had only really found out about this world seriously about a year before. So I just, I didn't even think it was like a realm for me to get this job until, you know, like two weeks later after I applied, they're like, yeah, well, you can work. Grant calls me. I was like, yeah, let's put you at Carson Meadows. And I was like, what is happening? Like, this is crazy. <laughs> but it was a great, great summer. I mean, I had LP as my camp director, which it's so funny because I formed a really quick friendship with her and she's a lasting friend for me. I was in her wedding. And then we had a pretty amazing crew, too. We had a pretty great um, team. And, I mean, Carson Meadows is gorgeous. So yeah, I yeah. Mean, it's not a bad spot to sit on the porch in the morning and, like, sip your coffee or your tea. So I think in the fall, for some reason, I was out there and we had to break into that cabin or, like, we just broke in to, like, get yeah. something or get foamies. <laughs> and I just love that cabin. It's a beautiful, beautiful It's spot. so pretty. So this is, like, a weird side note. No one believes me until I tell them and they experience it. That cabin is the best floor to sleep on. Hmm. It's the most – it's it's so weird. It's the comfiest floor to sleep on. And then um, one of my friends, Juan Lopez, was the camp director there a couple years ago. And I told him, I was like, it's the best floor on like find a sunbeam on a low day and sleep on that floor. And he's like, you're right. It's the best floor to – I don't know what it is. Maybe yeah. it's like a newer cabin or something. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, on those like really rainy days when no one's around and you're not doing anything like – that is a great place to sleep. Just on the floor. Great spot. It's just like – it just makes me think of like a cat. It's just like lounge oh, for the, sure. in yeah. the sun. That's, that's yeah. my – Yeah, and when I worked there, it was a pretty there, – there wasn't a high crew load either, which I found out I enjoyed for my first summer because I didn't have really anything to go off of. Um, but as I moved on in my summers at Philmont, I definitely recognized that I like a busier crew load. Yeah. So there was just more opportunities that summer to nap than any other summer. <laughs> there so, you go. And you took advantage yeah. of it. That's okay. Yeah. Then you came back um, in 2016, uh, PC at Dan Beard. Remind me, Dan Beard is Challenge Camp, right? Yeah, challenge. so Cope Camp. Cope Camp. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So I never challenging looked... outdoor personal experience. Thank you. Yeah. You I, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I never worked at a Cope course. And I, for whatever reason, I visited those camps less frequently than the others. So I don't know mm -hmm. much about them. And you are also at Headed Dean then the next year and you went back to Dan Beard in 2019 yeah. as a CD. So what is it that you love about 
those types of camps? Yeah, so definitely Dan Beard and 16, I fell in love with the program. I wouldn't say that I was great at the program at the time, but I definitely had a passion for it. There was just something really, really cool about taking this like group of people that you don't know at all, don't know their dynamics, and like putting them out on elements and like starting them off really basic so you can get a better understanding of who they are. And then just gradually mapping out based off their needs and how they can grow. Like you can see crazy amount of growth in like a 45 minute cope session. And, and it's, you can actually see it. It's, it's really cool to experience that and see it. And I was shocked the amount of crews that I would like put them on a simple element and be like, rearrange yourselves and, you know, give them a task. And a scout would be like, hey, oh, sorry, I forgot your name because they met at the airport. You know what I mean? Like they didn't yeah. even know everyone in their team and yeah. on their crew. And you're just kind of like, okay, let's readjust it because those people need totally separate needs than the people that have grown up together since, you know, they were Cub Scouts together. Yeah. Because those people know how to push each other's buttons and they know all the, you know, they know their strengths and their weaknesses. And so that kind of team needs a different course. Mm-hmm. Um, but that summer I fell in love with the program and I was like, oh, this is really cool. I really like being able to help people with some of the issues to help them succeed later on in the trek. Yeah. I never got to really see any of those camps in action. Um, and I wish I had because I, I think that's yeah. that stuff is huge hugely important to the trek, to the crew, uh, while they're at Filma and when they leave. Yeah. And it can get really personal too, which I always, I always really liked those. I was like, let's dive deep. And I really liked it because my camp director that year was Tyler DeBard, who was a great camp director, just had a very different leader, different leadership style than Leela. And he was just very like fun and loose and you know he was like you don't have to get to a root problem every time like sometimes the team is great and they can just have fun and I was like oh okay yeah I guess I guess we could have you know fun too you know that kind of thing and so um I always talked about I really liked a mix of Leela and Tyler's leadership style I like that about backcountry and I'm sure other departments too how you have different camp directors uh different leadership and different superiors and you get to see how people lead differently but like for the same common goal and yeah. uh, then then you get to kind of like form your own version of that if you move on to be a camp director or an RT or whatever it may be. I think that's yeah. a huge part of like growing a staff member at Philmont is getting to mix all that together. Yeah, I feel like I got good layers. Like I got grow in a structured great environment my first year and then the second one was just like all right let's let's do it you got it come on let's go you know yeah, so that, like, it was nice it was fun tr- yeah trust and delegation i love it talking about these job roles and things that you did then you were also camp director at sawmill in 2018 which was the mm-hmm. year of the ute park fire and then in 2020, you were supposed to be a backcountry manager. Of course, due to the pandemic, that didn't yeah. happen. Just thinking about, in general, your time at Philmont, what is yeah. something that maybe you were called upon that you didn't know you were going to have to do or something about your job that surprised you or challenged you to grow? I think my biggest growth moment from 
2018 for the U Park Fire. I think I realized my biggest amount of growth was after the summer ended was forgiving myself um, for maybe how I reacted to certain things, maybe how I led people that summer and forgiving myself for that, maybe not being the best that I thought I should have been in that moment or could have been. And then also forgiving people around me of like, if I can forgive myself for the way I acted, then I don't know why I'm holding everyone else around me. Like I'm not giving them that forgiveness either. Yeah. So I think that is definitely the biggest lesson I learned in 18 was just like, you know, it is okay. Like just because you stumbled does not mean that that's you for the rest of your life. Like you can take that and you can grow from it. Um, and it was, it took me a little while to get there but I'm there now. (laughs) I've forgiven myself. I've forgiven a lot of other people and we're good now. I definitely consider myself a a strong person, you know, mentally, spiritually, but it it was simple things of someone doing like a simple act of kindness and like them leaving and then me just crying, (laughs) you know, like it just was not a good state or I had, I had first year staff members that have no idea about Philmont And I'm just there wanting to see my friends, but also having like a tumultuous time, mentally not doing great and not giving the support that I should have been giving as a, as a leader and like as a person, you know, I just, if it was in a different circumstance, I should have and could have been better. Um, And that is what I think is what I'm, I'm meaning by I'm forgiving myself and I forgive others for that as well. Yeah. Thanks for being vulnerable on the show about it, because for those of us who weren't there in 2018, there was the fire, the Ute Park fire, and nobody made it into the backcountry at all that summer. There was no scatter. Is that mm-hmm. so? So and, you know, um, the Philmont Staff Association came out with the Ute Park fire issue, which was really fascinating to read. And it had to be so somber. It had to be such uh, so many mixed emotions. It was it was weird. It was very weird in the fact that there was a heavy presence, but at the same time, like there's a certain kind of like kindred soul that is attracted to Philmont. Like mean people don't want to live in the woods for a summer and not have <laughs> their phone. Like, yeah. you know, like that is just a fact. Yeah. <laughs> and so it is one of those things where if it was going to happen to anyone, it happened to a group of people that something terrible could happen to them. And they're like, okay, we have to like live in this makeshift, you know, we called it like a shanty town, all this kind of stuff. Let's do a human rodeo and let's, you know, let's do music and campfire and do all this kind of stuff. And, you know, people that are trying to teach SAR of like, hey, can you just like donate your camp if they're not doing anything so we can continue to learn? Like people still had goals and still were able to like move forward, but also at the same time be like upset and so it was a very interesting, there's lots of emotions, lots of emotions, yeah. lots of feelings. Oh, completely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I can't imagine, um, you know, for those of us that were just at home and seeing everything kind of come through on social media or through emails yeah. or texting people or, you know, all our friends and just watching those pictures of um, the smoke and the fire and that was a moment, I think, for all Philmont staff alumni, whether you were at Philmont yeah. that summer or at home of just like everyone's kind of holding their breath and um, holding their memories yeah. dear. So, but 
we <laughs> we flourished and we moved forward. Yes. And um, you you worked in the backcountry every summer. Mm-hmm. Is there something you love specifically about backcountry? Yeah. So I am a sucker for community. <laughs> I I'm a sucker for it. I love everything about like creating a community, being a part of a community. And there's just something about the backcountry, like waking up every single day with the same, everyone has the same goal. You were just talking about it. Like everyone has the same goal, but they have different paths to getting there. And you have that within your camp as well. But everyone has a common goal. Everyone wants the betterment of the camp, betterment of you, your other staff members, your participants, and like creating that community and that true family for the summer. I just... I'm a sucker for it. I love it. I, I obviously couldn't get enough of it. I just think it's really I think it's really awesome. Yeah. I I love it too as we should. It's it's unlike yeah. anything else I've ever experienced. And one thing that is interesting is like when you leave Philmont, a lot of people say like so there's Philmont and then there's the real world. And um yeah. someone someone who I had on the show a while back, uh Bucko Cowden, uh mm-hmm. we were exchanging emails and he was saying how he actually thinks the opposite, that his experience at Philmont was, I hope I'm getting this right, Bucko, but his experience <laughs> at Philmont was was the most real and authentic living he's experienced. Um, and it, it is. Yeah. When you think about it in that regard, it's like, you know, you really, you're living so authentically and for a common goal and in tune with nature. And there's a very... There's a different realness about that than the quote unquote real world of society and jobs and family and yeah, all that. So we have a lot of barriers that we unfortunately set up around ourselves out in the quote unquote real world. But when you're at Philmont, a lot of those barriers come down, whether personally deciding to do that because you grow close with your group or they have to come down if you're going to be successful. And it, I like that take on that because. It is true. I mean, a lot of people are their most real selves at Philmont. Yeah, I, I know. So I personally like. I can feel myself when I stray away from who I sovereign who I am. It's like I do think about my times at Philmont and being like, okay, well, if I, it kind of makes you be like, okay, maybe I should get back in nature. Maybe I should like call a friend, or you get back into the roots and. The friends that I call oftentimes are my Philmont friends, and I kind of talk about Philmont stories and, you know, talk about those experiences again and kind of center yourself. So I like that take. Yeah. Thank you. I'm going to take that yeah. one with me. Okay. Thanks, Bucko. Um, I know you've talked about Leela and Trevor, but was there anyone else that really mentored you or uh, made a lasting impression on you at Philmont? Yeah. Well, I think this goes hand in hand. I mean, obviously Leela did, but her now husband, Sean Murphy did. I really like his leadership style as well. Someone who I'm really grateful for, I felt like I was taken under their wing was Pete Cyphers. Um, My goal in 18, when I was CD at Sawmill, which is probably why I struggled a bit more in at that summer than I normally would a fire year, was I was taking on a program I knew nothing about, which was guns. I knew nothing about it. I'm not really a gun gal, but like I said before, I kind of jump into things and I'm like, let's learn by doing. And so I kind of jumped into it, not really knowing anything. And everyone else around me was super knowledgeable and 
they just knew all they just were way more steps ahead of me and I just wasn't quite used to that and Pete Cyphers took me under his wing and because I'd be like I have a really stupid question and granted it probably was a stupid question but he was like oh no and like talked to me about it now he's in gunsmithing school so I mean he's super knowledgeable and he's super great but I definitely yeah. want to give a shout out to you Pete yeah <laughs> love that guy yeah that's fantastic what about um a job that if you could go back to Philmont what's a job you'd like to do BCM <laughs> <laughs> I really wish I could have gone back and done BCM or had that summer been normal. I mean, so many other people wish that too. I mean, yeah. everyone does. Um, I just knew in that moment for that summer, it was a challenge I was ready to take on. And I think I would have done a really great job. Um, never say never, but I don't think I'm going to be going back to Philmont in that capacity. I always say I'll probably go back as an advisor of a child or as a little old lady at registration. That's like my main goal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I think I, I would have really enjoyed challenging myself that summer. So backcountry manager role is something that on the show um, people, it, it's a unique role. Uh, there's, yeah. been ge- there's been guests who've said, you know, they loved it. And some who said, you know, they didn't love it so much. What is something that you were looking forward to doing in that role? I was really looking forward to being an advocate for a lot of camps. I've been on the receiving end of BCMs that I felt like maybe could have supported us a little bit more. And then I've also been on the receiving end of BCMs that I felt like were just really rooting for us. And there always seems to be like a veil behind BCM positions of like, People don't really know what's going on behind the scenes, even though they know it's a lot. And I will admit, I was intrigued by the mystery of it, and I didn't quite understand why a lot of things were blanketed. So I was ready. I was very, like, personally ready to take on that and be a little bit – try to be a little bit more transparent. But obviously, I was never in the role. There's probably a reason why, you know, there is a little bit of a blanket behind BCMs of, like, what do they really do or, like – what does the full job entail? But I know I was excited to take on that challenge and at least experience it. What do you miss the most about Philmont? <laughs> okay, this is – I actually have a funny story for this. Oh, good. So, story time. Yeah. Yeah. So it was my first summer, Carson Meadows, program counselor. It was the summer before my first year at university. So I thoroughly enjoyed my summer. It was amazing, life-changing, obviously. But towards, you know, the, like the last two weeks, you're pretty excited. Like I had this pretty exciting chapter of, you know, new chapter in my life coming up and I was ready for it. I was a bit tired. And I remember talking to Leela on the porch and be like, I'm ready. These are all the things I'm going to buy for my dorm room. And, you know, I'm just being silly 18 year old Severin. And I remember her being like, you need to slow down and be in the present and enjoy the right now. And I was like, you know, at the time, you're kind of like, what do you know? And, you know, she's had years of experience. She knows what she's talking about. But I was like, I don't think so. And she's like, you watch. You're going to be missing going to the red roof. And I was like, okay, you're officially crazy. That's – there's no way. <laughs> and it is so funny for what I would give to, like, walk under a clear sky and see stars on my way to a red roof. Like, <laughs> it's so – I think about that sometimes, like – throughout my years. So I was like, okay, I'm a bit tired. I'm a bit ready to go. Or, 
you know, I'm ready for this day to end. I was like, you better enjoy it because you're going to be missing a red roof in a couple months once you go home. Yeah. So that's what I think about of like, what do I miss? Yeah. <laughs> Is that lesson of a red roof? Um, did you have a Philmont romance? Yes, I did. I met my current partner at Philmont, Alex Handel. Um, we live together right outside of Chicago. We've been together for about four years now. So Awesome. Yeah, I got a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to elaborate on that story yeah. or a little bit about him? Yeah, totally. So we actually worked together at Head of Dean. It's so funny because now when we look back on it, we're like, oh, we were nervous friends. We were best friends. And then it was just kind of one of those things that, I mean, you really grow together with everyone there. Like the program, what you're doing is crazy. But it was about two weeks after we left Philmont that he like calls me and he was like, do you think I could come down for a visit? And I was like, heck yeah, you can come down for a visit. I would love to see you and all this kind of stuff. And then and then the rest is history. People will ask like, oh, what was your first date? And I was like, we were living together uh, before we even dated. <laughs> So, yeah. you know, it's like you really get to know the nitty gritties of people, of whether you even like them as as a person yeah. <laughs> at Philmont. So, yeah, I yeah. feel like we had we were on the even playing field when we first started dating. So what are you up to today? You're living in Chicago. And mm-hmm. what else? What do you what are you up to? So I'm a Southern gal living in Chicago. (laughs) First winter was a little rough, but we're getting there. We're learning. Yeah, so I'm working for a health department here. I have a little side business as well, S Designs. We're leaning into the present right now. We're just trying to figure out right now. I feel like that's something you get told when you like graduate university or post filma of like, at least I've been told a lot of portion of my life of like, there's very clear steps to post university and then when you actually get there I think in these in this day and age there are not defined steps anymore yeah and I think your 20s at least in the south in the 20s it's very common to like you know get married and start having kids and I've moved I just have a different path in that for me right now and so I think it's very interesting that I've grown up my whole life with a very clear path and I'm not doing it so I'm learning to live and love the uncomfortable right now, for sure. I want to hear more about S Designs. Well, my family's always been very entrepreneurial. Um, I grew up at the dining room table and my mom and dad would be like, so what invention did you think of today? Like that is just like the house I grew up in. Um, And I've always liked the business aspect of things. My sister is a very talented photographer, but I'd never really taken on like the creative aspect of a business until... It's kind of a longer story, but my good friend Maddie Brown, who also worked at Philmont, for my birthday, she made me a pair of polymer clay earrings. I mean, as you know, getting a homemade gift is like one of the best gifts ever. And so I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. These earrings are so great. And it just always kind of stuck with me in the back of my head how awesome this gift was. And then when quarantine happened, I was at university I was alone in my apartment. My roommate had gone back home. So I was very, very bored. So I just like ordered clay and I just started making clay earrings. And then it just was like such a great stress relief. And I was able to like bring to light 
a lot of things I had on my head into something I could hold. And I thought that was really cool. Um, and then suddenly friends were like, oh, could you make me a pair? And I was like, oh, heck yeah, of course I just come pick it up off the porch, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then I put a pause to it because then I moved to Chicago, was getting used to living up here and I was getting used to it was really cold and I was not used to that and so I was working at home for a health department my current job right now which is all excel sheets it's it's all very bland a lot of the material is pretty tough um even though I love public health but the material is pretty rough that I read at my job and I had all this time and I was at home and my boyfriend, Alex, was like, well, you should, like, make earrings again, you know, do that. So I so I, I started doing it again, and then I realized I was not that great at polymer clay earrings. I needed to leave that to Maddie because then I started learning about brass and gemstones and, you know, soldering and bezel work, and that is where I'm at at S Designs now is I've really found that niche and the style that I like now. So that's kind of how S Designs, it took about a year, but then we got there and it's flourishing and it's growing and I'm learning along the way. Yeah. Congratulations. I love it. Um, <laughs> Thanks. I, I, have a, I have several pair of earrings and I think they're just very <laughs> feminine, but funky and uh, they're, they're unique. You can tell uh, there's, you have, you have quite a few also that have a southwestern New Mexico vibe, which of course yeah. I love. Um, so I dig it. I'm really glad that you went for it. And you know, That's it's awesome. kind of like, kind of like anything like me with this podcast. Like at some point, you just dive in and you go for it, and you just so do I, it. Yeah, and I'm happy that you're having good success. So yeah, and for everybody listening, I will link Saverin's business S Designs in the show notes. So definitely check that out. Just hopping back to Philmont a little bit. Yeah. Do you have any stories or memories that you want to share? It's interesting leading with the theme of just me jumping in and not really knowing anything, but I'm just going to go for it. I remember my first summer PC uh, Carson Meadows with Lila. Um, She probably knows where the story is going. So I was terrified of the radio as most first year PCs are. And I really skirted the responsibility. I would try to take, you know, do extra in other areas. So I would never get called on to do the radio because it just really intimidated me. Finally, it was always funny. There there was like one P-spot at Carson Meadows that was close by but heavily concealed. So all the girls went there. And it was funny because Leela and I would always seem to pass each other. And we're like, oh, this is so funny. It was like our little thing. We'd always pass pass each other. And one time she like, we were passing each other. She kind of cornered me and she's like, I'm going on break for 24 hours. Like I'm going on days for 24 hours. You have the radio. And I was like, oh my God, this is going to be terrible. And she's like, listen, and this is the famous word. She's like, it's only 24 hours. And that was the night of the flood. Oh, I had the radio. The night of the flood, which was obviously like a very traumatic and sad event um, that happened across Philmont. I obviously wasn't knowing a lot of the details that was happening at the time, but like that's the story I think about. And I would tell all my PCs posts where I was like, it'll be fine. You're going to be fine. I had the radio my first time ever the night of the flood and it was okay. I got on once to just say that we were okay. Like I didn't, I didn't say anything, but I was by the radio and I was fine. So I always think about that too. It's like, 
my classic first summer story is I had the radio. Yeah, just 24 mm-hmm. hours. Lots can happen in 24 hours. And that was, yeah, the 2015 flood. I'm sure the radio was very busy that night just even listening by. So, Yeah, it was very busy. Um, obviously, it was like a very scary experience too. But, I mean, I always loved and cherished things we would come back from days. But she tells a story on her end because she had a crazy 24 hours too of her. As soon as Mark Anderson cleared for people to move in the back country, she like booked it. To Carson and I can just still remember she's like drenched it's pouring down rain and her like coming through and looking at me and be like I'm so sorry and I was like you said it was only 24 hours oh, God. and like <laughs> running to give her a hug I was like take the radio I don't want it like <laughs> <laughs> it's, as a camp director yeah. it's always good to be like welcomed back with open open arms yeah, yeah, she was well received for sure we were like please <laughs> please stay don't yeah. leave yeah <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. Let's talk a little bit as we wrap up here, just kind of thinking back to nostalgic things and whatnot. Do you have a prized possession from Philmont or a piece of memorabilia that you keep in your primary living space to remind you of those those days? Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting because I have another Philmont friend. She's living in the um, city proper, Chicago, where she's like, everyone that's ever worked at Philmont, no matter how long or how short you work there, we always have a Philmont corner. And it's like, it's interesting because I I have my Philmont map posted on our living room wall. She had it in her bedroom. Like everyone that has worked at Philmont like has their little corner, which I think is interesting. Um, And my boyfriend, obviously, well, he's been in Scouts um, for his whole life. So he is like, he's done the whole patch collection and all that kind of stuff. And my dad is really into patch collection as, as well. And like I said, I didn't really grow up with it personally. So when I got my first arrowhead, I was like, I remember texting my dad and being like, what do I do with this? And he's like, don't you dare lose it. Like he was really serious about it. He's like, you guard that with your, with your mind, body, and soul. Do not get rid of that. So he has personally been holding all my arrowhead patches and you asked about a memorabilia piece. So I have one piece that's missing is I never got the Ute Park fire arrowhead patch with the orange like border Oh no. And everyone was supposed to get it. And I've emailed people and it just never, I never got it. So if anyone listening, this is my chance. My dad will be so proud of me. Like if anyone, if I can talk to anyone for that arrowhead patch, that would be amazing. My dad would actually cry. He's like a six-year-old military man. He would probably cry if I presented that to him. But I personally am not into patches, but I think that would complete my set, you know? Yeah, that's totally fair. I think. Girl, we need to get this girl her patch. I know, I know. I've emailed people, but it was always during busy season and all this kind of stuff. But I think. Okay, well, it's the off season now, so we're going to make this happen. Silver on the Sage podcast is going to get you that patch, I'm determined. So (laughs) (laughs) you were also, just kind of side note, you were recently in Spain traveling. Do you have um, a connection to Spain, family ties or anything, or were you just there on leisure? Yeah, so. I feel really fortunate. I have a lot of family that's kind of scattered everywhere. Um, But my aunt is currently living with her husband. Um, She splits her time between the Middle East and Doha, Qatar, and Spain. And so my whole family has gone out to visit her place and see it be built and all this kind of cool stuff. But I was always working at Philmont, and so I was the only one that never got to go. So that was going to be my university, you know, graduation gift was I was going to go. And then obviously COVID happened. 
And then the job I'm working right now is super great. And they, I got my contract extended and they're like, do you want to take some time off? And I was like, heck yes, I want to take some time off. So I took a huge chunk of time and um, I went to Spain for about 20 days and got to visit with my aunt. And um, it's really great because she's a foodie. So we just like ate our way through like, you know, the southern nice. part of Spain, which was awesome. So yeah. I feel like I got to live like a local and it was awesome. It was very cool. That's incredible. The, I, I've been to Spain. I, I went to visit my sister when she was studying abroad and we went, we went to Malaga, Spain, and it was oh, that's incredible. So, cool. so I'm glad you yeah. enjoyed it. Okay, two final questions before we totally wrap up. Would you say there's a direct tie of Philmont to where you are today as far as um, S Designs or your career with public health? Philmont has made me into the woman who I am today. It definitely tied in. I have a pretty strong feminine side, and Philmont really grew also my really rugged side and grew a lot of mental toughness as well. It's how I ended up meeting my partner and living outside of Chicago. I don't... I don't want to discredit myself and say I wouldn't have had the courage to start S Designs, but I would not have made the connection of Maddie Brown making me a pair of earrings that were so amazing and like really started my inspiration. Public health. I was always interested. I was going to be a nursing major. And then during my time at Philmont, I realized I wanted that to be a bit broader. Um, And a lot of Philmont people helped me make that decision to change to public health. And it's very interesting once I did change to public health and was studying it, how closely I could tie in what I was learning at university and implement it at Philmont and then also take some of that real world experience at Philmont and apply it in my classrooms. Yeah, I think it's obviously Philmont's made me who I am today, but I think it was a pretty, pretty direct pipeline of Philmont helping me get to where I am right now for sure. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. I love that. Uh, Let's see. Sovereign, do you hike or travel today in Chicago with an 11th essential? Oh, my God. That is such a good question. You ask that all the time. Why did (laughs) I think about that? Oh, heck. In my prep. My 11th essential. You don't have to have one. (laughs) trying to think. A pair of S design earrings. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> I need to make a pair of earrings or a necklace that, if you're ever in an emergency, it can yeah. be dual for hiking or something like that. There you go. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I mean I pack everything in the kitchen sink with me whenever I go anywhere. That <laughs> that is a skill I did not perfect at Filma. I still pack everything, any possibility. <laughs> yeah, you're ready. So I, I'll, you know, my answer will be I will create an eleventh essential soon. Watch out. Okay. Watch out, guys. I like it. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I guess we can wrap up with that. Thank you so, so much for your time this evening. It was a lot of fun chatting um, with you. And, thank you um, so much. I'm so happy to be here. I'm such a fan. This is such a crazy moment for me. So this is really <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Absolutely. We'll talk soon.
Hey, hey, all right, all right. So you stuck around till the very end. So here is a sneak peek of a track from our upcoming album. The album is due to release towards the end of February, so stay tuned, check out social media, and we'll let you know when all the tracks are available to listen. Dare you not to dance to this one. I can't get her in the morning, I can't get her in the morning. 